Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 46. The medium is the message. And going forward, I would like for you to be a little bit less enthusiastic. <laughs> it sounds way better coming out of the great intro music if I'm all full of, you know. Mm, it sounds too much like early morning zoo, just like zoo crew. Oh, like, no. Like people laughing hysterically at six in the morning oh i'm gonna bring it even harder next time (laughs) (laughs) uh content warning we're obligated to tell you before we start that this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes you might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up so if you're sensitive about these things maybe this isn't the podcast for you it's okay we still love you good morning robot good morning what uh what have, what have you been doing with your week? <laughs> <laughs> I've just come from the massage therapist, Stevel. Yeah, we're starting late because um, Robot had to go get a massage. I got a massage. I am not a cinder block with legs like someone else I know. Yeah. And so I'm like a delicate flower and I require uh, gentle and considerate care from someone with love in their heart. Yeah, massage, going to massage, especially if you can find a good massage therapist, like somebody who really is tuned into what you need. And I love working with body nerds, like people who are really into the physiology and the mechanics of of how a body works. And you can tell them that, yeah, you know, this is... um, This is something I think I need, or this, this is a problem that I have. And then they know, you know, almost intrinsically that, what the steps that they need to take to kind of put your put your vehicle back together not unlike a a qualified auto mechanic or bike mechanic or or whatever it's funny that you say that because i as i was getting uh massaged i was thinking about the mechanic analogy because i have seen a lot of doctors for the things that i've done to my body and the doctor I mean, it's also true you have to find a good doctor, and I just haven't. So there's that. But the thing that the massage... I've had a lot more progress from seeing a massage therapist than I have from seeing a doctor. Yeah, well, I think that Western medicine looks at a body like uh, like a car. Say, for example, um, if if your starter's broken, you replace the starter. If you know, whereas yeah. with a body like it doesn't, they, it doesn't work that way. You don't treat; it's a chain. Everything is related yeah. to everything else, and you don't treat just because your elbow hurts. You don't just necessarily treat the elbow. It could be something in your shoulder. It could be something in your wrist. It could be something in your neck, brain, and so on. And I think that's why you know, seeing a medical doctor with understanding an understanding of 
um, uh, what sort of uh, Eastern medicine, Western medicine combined with Eastern medicine or mm. a natural path or and a natural path and so on. I think that's I mean, that's been my best bet. Western medicine is amazing when it comes to CAT scans and technology, CT scans, all that shit. But in terms of like treating the whole body, I don't think it really has has a good lock on it. I, I find that with most doctors, they don't have the time or take the time to understand like who I am and what I do mm-hmm. and what I'm like. Um, and I don't feel cared for. I feel like. I feel like they're like, oh, you you cracked your ball joint and you need a new front quarter panel. So see the nurse at the end of the hallway. And, you know, it's just this very kind of like um, they there are protocols like and so they put you down these um, alleyways. But like when I go to the massage therapist for a similar issue, I feel at least my massage therapist, I feel cared for. I tell people like the most amazing thing that ever happened when or or I guess the moment I really knew that she was like the right person to see. I went in there and I was having I had this like ongoing Achilles tendonitis issue and she I told her about it and she put her hand on it and there's like a big gross knot there and she made this sound. She went, oh, <laughs> and I was like, I almost cried. I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. It hurts. It hurts and it's bad. I've seen mostly, I think in my life, I've seen male physicians. Yeah. uh, And with the interspersed with, um, with female physicians. And I, in the last five years, I think I've pretty much just made the pivot, uh, exclusively to seeing women doctors or whatever. I don't, there's, I feel um, I feel more seen, I feel more heard. And I, I, yeah. and I know that's a gross generalization to say that, well, because women are nurturing or women are more sensitive, but in my experience, I've had yeah. far more luck with, with working with women uh, who, I don't know if they just understand more or if they're more detail oriented or I don't know. I don't know what it is. And not that, not to knock any of the male physicians I've had or male doctors, like they've been great. It's just, it's just something that it's just something I don't know, closer attention to detail or something, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. He, I know, have a similar experience. What it was, was uh, the first scare I had with, um, uh, with, uh, the melanoma is I went to see, I got just kind of like, I went to my doctor and he said, okay, go see this dermatologist. And I went to see this dermatologist I've probably told this story here before because I can't remember what's what and what has been said and what has not been said. But he looked at the spot and said, oh, no, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I mean, just just Mm. like that, just that flippantly. And it was something that I've been keeping an eye on for about a year. Mm. And I looked at the poster on the wall that said, you know, like type types of melanoma. And I'm like, this looks exactly like the poster says I should be worried about. And then right. he got kind of shitty with me and said, well, you know, get a second opinion then. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And then the next uh, dermatologist I saw was a woman and she was like, oh, yeah, without even like missing a beat. Like, yeah, that is definitely something we need to concern ourselves with. So if I hadn't been advocating for my own well-being and get and gotten a second opinion and just trusted his perspective, mm. Mm. 
I could be dead. You know, I mean, honestly, like skin cancer is nothing to fuck with. And so from that point forward, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, fuck it. Fuck dude, doctors. Yeah, I had a kind of similar experience when I broke my collarbone. I ended up with frozen shoulder. I saw a doctor about the frozen shoulder and he said some shit that was just not right. It was just wrong. And I, I was like, you're trying to get me out of your office. You're yeah. not trying to help me with this problem. You're trying to get me out of your office. So I saw another doctor and the other doctor who was the first doctor's boss was like, he said, what? <laughs> Why? And then he's like, OK, here's what we're going to do. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Fuck all you guys. <laughs> I don't like trust is a big thing when when you're in pain and you need help. Yeah. And I don't believe that any of you has my best interest at heart right now. And yeah, trust. So I saw some physical therapists and some massage therapists. Trusting your gut. And like I said, advocating for your own well-being is such an important aspect of yeah you know and don't don't trust somebody just because they have a piece of paper on the wall that says you should trust them no uh but whatever but whatever <laughs> uh let's talk about music <laughs> so i've just been getting massaged all week how about you yeah no definitely not been getting massaged all week i've been working uh the job site that i've been working um finishing to doing finishing work on two bathrooms. It's been mm. pretty big crunch time. Um, never tiled before. And so now I have, now I'm an expert tiler. Did you get a copy of tiling for dummies? No, no. I, you know, I, I've been around tile jobs, like on other sites I've worked at and I've seen it and I understand the concept, but I'd never like mm. laid my hands on and, you know, cut tiles to fit and measured and so forth. So this has been a new experience. And now what we're working on, we've gotten all the subway tiles done. And the last wall is this, it's 133 and a half inches of hexagonal tiles. <laughs> so not only, you know, you put spacers on square or rectangle tiles, you put spacers beneath and beside, but the hexagonal tiles, you're putting spacers all over the fucking place. There's like yeah. a thousand, I'm only four or five rows high and there are already like a thousand spacers on this wall and it just i hate it and now it's gotten to the point when i hear a spacer fall and hit the ground i i bristle i just i'm like oh fuck. <laughs> it like it's really not <laughs> it's not good for me <laughs> um but today it's uh it's a slow day so i think i'm gonna go on a bike ride and handle some of my own business because i think i've had two days off in the last three weeks Oh. Or a month or something. So I'm going to focus on... I'm going to have a me day. Oh, yeah. Maybe book a massage for yourself. Maybe book a massage. I I have a guy, and he's really good, but he's he's. I have to book like a month out with him. Mm. So I'll massage myself. Roll. I got, oh, I got a foam roller. It's almost as good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so starting off my me day, uh, re recording a podcast. Great. Re record a podcast, make love to a foam roller. Mm. You know, you'll be all right. It's a big day for me. I'm going to make an effort today not to antagonize you, which is my normal method. Yeah, no, that's... I'm going to make an effort. You seem a little raw today. No, I seem raw every day. I mean, I am raw every day. You just, <laughs> like, it's nothing. It's, it's I'm always I just on said it. I wasn't going to antagonize you and then said you look <laughs> raw. 
<laughs> it's uh, it's just my way of being. So uh, don't don't trip. I'm not wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to mess with you today, but you do have a face like a smacked ass. Anyway, let's get into this thing. <laughs> uh, music picks. What do you got? Oh yeah, we'll do music picks and yeah. then we'll okay. Um, do you have a music pick ready? Uh, I do. Yeah, it's an album. Um, I guess it's a it was a, a collaborative album. I think anybody who's listened to this or talked to me, it gets a little annoying. I think, but I am I absolutely adore a band called Rocket from the Crypt from San Diego. Um, and yeah. they did, uh, they did a a, a record called vintage piss um and uh the guy they did it with i think he's sings on most of the tracks his name's sunny vincent um and he's like kind of stiv baiters i mean he's just been he's been in like the punk scene since the punk scene was not even a punk scene i was in a band called the testers back in the 70s i guess so it was, yeah, it's just Rocket from the Crypt with, with Sonny Vincent on vocals. And I've been listening to it almost exclusively for the week. Huh. I'd seen it and I'd heard tracks, but I didn't <clears throat> own it. And then I... When did it come out? Uh, did I don't know. Maybe I didn't say. Uh, 2016, I think. Oh, I so haven't heard it. It's been a little bit. Yeah, I you know, it just kind of... It just kind of fell off my radar. Like I saw that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But for whatever reason, I don't know. There's too much other shit that was coming out around the same time or I'll get it. I'll, I'll eventually get it. And then I forgot about it or whatever. I went out one night and I bought a bunch of Klondike bars and I put them in the freezer, but I forgot they were there. And then, you know, th- weeks later, I was like, oh, yeah, look. Most of my... I have so much music like that where I just buy it, like I'm psyched about it and then I put it away and then I forget about it, which is kind of mm-hmm. fun. Cause it's like, it's like I'm hiding Easter eggs for myself oh, and yeah. then somewhere down the road. Like I stumble across this one record that I bought forever ago that I completely forgot about. My records are all jam packed. They're not displayed very well. I have no idea what I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of DJ nights where I pull start pulling records out and I'm going through all the, all these records and I just, I can't believe how much music I have that I've not even listened to. It's so dumb. It's a compulsion now really at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, I've always had, I've always had one baseball cards when I was little. Well, star Wars cards, mm-hmm. then baseball cards, then records, then records i think it's something that i you know like i should i should be intimately familiar with everything i own before i start piling it but it's books are kind of the same way and i and i'm not a reader like i'd love to be a reader my family everybody my, my mom dad and sister they're all pretty voracious readers and i just i have a i have a i don't know like a tom wolf book or some shit that's been sitting on my little end table that i borrowed it's been it's it's like 200 pages I can't even fucking crack the thing and, it, and I got to give it back at some point um, to the guy I borrowed it from. But I just can't, I don't, I just can't, but I'm always buying books. Yeah. I buy books a lot, but I do read them also. I don't, it's not, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why does it, why do you do that? Why would somebody buy a kitchen? Like I, you know, I collect frying pans. Do you cook? No, <laughs> not at all. 
Why, why am I doing that? Why do Why do I do that? What's the deal? I don't like, know. Eventually, I love records so much that I just want to have them, but then I bring them home and I'm better about it now. I just stack them next to my stereo and then I listen to them straight before you put them away. Yeah, I'll listen to everything for a couple yep. of weeks and then. If it really strikes me, then I'll keep it out. And if it doesn't at that point, then I'll put it away. But at least I gave it a fair shake. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what's yours? I have a lot of records that are good. But um, what's my... Uh, I, I may have picked them before, but I'm going to pick Russian Circles again. Hmm. Um, Russian Circles are, a, I would say they're an instrumental metal band. Kind of calling them metal doesn't seem fair. They're it's a heavy, heavy instrumental. Ambient. It's like heavy yeah, he- ambient metal, heavy. Yeah, music. But I find it sort of hypnotic. Like I love it. Like I can listen to it just to listen to it. But also, if I'm having a particularly attention deficit intensive day, if I put Russian circles in my headphones, I can do work. It's like it just absorbs all of the garbage that's swirling in my head. Um, So I've been listening to it a lot lately because my head is messy. They are, they're so good. Have you seen them before? I haven't, but I have a tab open uh, on this very machine through which I'm speaking to you to buy tickets to their upcoming show here. It's they're fun. It's really, uh, you know, like I've always been like, I am attracted. I'm not a musician, so I can't, I don't, I can't listen to music like, like, uh, just music mu- without vocals, like vocals. So yeah. always sort of, t- it's like the rug that ties the room together for me. Uh-huh. And I remember when there was a band that was on touch and go called Don Caballero. <laughs> oh yeah. And they were like a kind of metal, like, like a heavy, not punk, uh, What's the fucking term? Music? Math Instru- rock. Instrumental. Instrumental. So oh, it was like yeah, a heavy oh. instrumental band. Yeah, and yeah. I remember reading a review that said the only music that should not have vocals or that it is allowable to not have vocals is jazz. You know, and, and it, this was and it kind of resonated with me. Like, I really loved the music, but because there was no vocals, it was just it felt like a piece was missing. Uh-huh. And uh, Russian Circles and both Russian Circles and uh, Pelican is another band that is very similar. Um, They were the first instrumental band that I've heard that I didn't, I didn't feel like anything was missing. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing. My friend Che, who we've talked to on this, uh, about on this podcast before, uh, managed one of their tours. They're also from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel kind of, some weird tertiary connection to them, but their music makes me very happy. Yeah, they're good. It makes they're me really feel good. calm, uh, which is which takes a lot. I ordinarily, I would never, I don't listen to the band that I'm going to see before I go to see them. I'd never mm. do that. I don't wear uh, the band's shirt at the show, and I don't listen to the band before right. I go see the show. So. And the Russian Circles is the only band that I've ever seen, and I listen to them before I went to see them. And I got someone, my friend called me out on it, but I was like, I just, I can't, I can't. I mean, it's just so good. Yeah. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention too, that uh, like I've been really onto this like super garage rock kick, which is kind of how I fell back into vintage piss. 
But then I realized mm-hmm. like any band like the Super Bees or the Morlocks or any band that has like a jangly kind of dirgy guitar part and the song starts with a uh, or a yeah. And then I'm like, oh, well, I don't care what happens now. It's great. So I just had to say, had to say this, that about that. Um, okay. Well, I uh, taken, uh, just diving right in to the episode. It's about cycling media. Hmm? What we yeah. like, what we don't like, how it relates to other endemic media, like skateboarding or music. Yeah. Oh, hey, it's Storytime with steve About three years ago, Shimano tapped me to join a group of people they were calling the Gravel Alliance. Essentially, this was a group of people who were going to ride and test the GRX Gravel Group. We're going to do races around the country and rides and have light influence on design and engineering and research and development tweaks that needed to be done before it went to market. Uh, on the surface, this was just an opportunity to ride bikes and to meet this amazing group of personalities and even to take a peek behind the curtain and learn a little bit more about Shimano as a company. Uh, but on the underneath, I learned more about myself and my own self-worth than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, the whole thing was really brilliant and I understand that's not exactly what they had in mind when they asked me to sign on, but uh, that was a byproduct, and I will forever be in Shimano's debt because of it. So question one about uh, cycling media is, or as it's written, it says, I hate a lot of cycling media, and I bet you do too. Without naming names, I'm going to name names, I don't care. What sorts of things bug you about the current cycling media? Mm, it's so It's so linear. That's a thing that I don't really like. It's it's very formulaic. Mm. Um, I used to love like old issues of Bike Magazine. I thought those were cool because it was all they were all over the map. They had really good stories. Uh, it wasn't just about fucking. <laughs> <sighs> it wasn't just like photos of like how like paint like people riding in paintball gear. You got to have knee pads. You got to have a tailgate pad. You got to have a big dumb Pfizer on your helmet. You got to have goggles. You got to ride like this. You got to ride in these environments. And it's, and you know, like there was articles about cyclocross. There was articles about the, um, I I know I brought this up before, but they did a huge feature on this team that came from a country in Africa. And I don't remember which country uh and they made their way to veil somehow and their bikes had been lost and so they borrowed bikes like it was a huge and really amazing story and nobody else even there was it wasn't even a blip on anybody else's radar and bike did a huge feature on it um when joe parkin took over editorial roles he and i were talking about like the different directions that the magazine could go and we were relating to the uh big brother skateboard magazine which when they first came out, they had an issue that was bound like a calendar. They had one issue that came in a cereal box with a bunch of shit, like a bunch of Danzig trading cards and all this hilarious shit. They did whatever they wanted to do. And so Parkin and I were talking about like, let's let's do that. I want to do that. Let's push this magazine in that direction. But the publisher was just like, 
no, no. And then I think it kind of broke Parkin's spirit a little bit because he had all these cool ideas that because the industry or the buying public or whatever he did, but I don't know the publisher didn't think that people would be able to uh, relate or it would just be an abysmal failure. So they basically just said, no, you're just going to follow protocol and do the same shit. We all, everybody does. So that's one yeah. thing that kind of aggravates me. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think all of the problems fall out of the funding models. Mm-hmm. Uh, like do do you, are you funded by subscribers? Are you sub- funded by advertisers? Uh, now, nowadays, uh, are you funded by selling your subscribers information to other people? Um, so there's this sort of limit to how much money can come in because people don't like to pay for content. No one let, no one wants to pay the artist. I, I'm not trying to fuck with you right now. I'm, well, I'm not trying to trigger you, but like no one wants to pay the writer. No one wants to pay the photographer. And when I say that, I mean, the publishers don't really want to pay you. And the subscribers and readers don't really want to pay you. Everyone just wants to be entertained for free all the time. Mm-hmm. And that puts limits on the kind of chances and creativity that's out there. And I think a lot of publishers who are people with money who want to make money uh, are like, well, no, let's just stay inside the lines because that's how our economic model works. Yeah. I mean, there's no, I, you know, I don't pretend to, to have an answer years ago. Uh, my friend Ian and Jake and I were talking about, you know, that would be cool to do a magazine like big brother, but that was just about, it was just bikes, but it wasn't going to be bikes because I remember one of the articles that we, we drafted or conceived of was a how to blow the Canadian border and style. And we were going to do a whole thing where we just fucking blasted, through, <laughs> blasted through the board. Everybody would dress up like clowns and we would drive <laughs> top speed through the border and throw a bunch of change into the air. And that was uh-huh. it. That was the article. And prob- probably would have been, you know, resulted in us getting arrested. This, of course, was before September 11th. So borders were a little easier to navigate. Um, sure. uh, but it was just like it was just like junk articles like that. Like, you know, it's funny stuff. There's not, I don't feel like there's anything, I don't, I don't think there's, I don't see anything in cycling media that's funny. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. Or creative at all. Like, it's all the same shit, depending on, you know, it's the only thing that varies is the kind of bike you're riding. But it's just, none of it is fucking interesting. It's all fucking bike memes, bike jokes. It's just, God, it's so fucking tired. How how much do you hate bikes, would you say? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you hate bikes? I love bikes. Oh. 10 out of 10. I don't give love a sh- bikes. I don't give a shit about the about the media or or like what I'm what I what I'm supposed to feel about them. Like that's right. kind of I feel like that's a big aspect of of uh bike media or the bike world or whatever. I love my friends who I've met through cycling. But, you know, and even we've never talked about this, but the whole like that Uh the site's tagline, like if you ride bikes, you're one of us. No, no, (laughs) that's not true. It's not. That's it's a catalyst, certainly. But like we're not the same. 
None of us are the same. Why are that we you're you like put people into the this sort of parameter like, well, you're a cyclist. I'm a cyclist. So we're the same. You're we got tons to talk about. And I absolutely disagree with that sentiment. The tagline is not if you ride bikes, we have tons to talk about. And it's not if you ride bikes, we're best buddies. It's just a way of trying to let people know who maybe aren't quote unquote serious cyclists with computers and Watts and Strava accounts that we're down with them too. So if you ride bikes, we can, you're a bike rider. Yeah. If we're, but if that's, you, a, that's kind of a less, you, that's less interesting. That's a less engaging tagline. If you ride bikes, you're a bike rider. That's oh. right. <laughs> that's right. If you wear pants, you're a pants wearer. <laughs> maybe we should change it to, if you ride bikes, I'm an antisocial. <laughs> that's my, you know, that's like, my deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so Steve and I, we should, let's just crack the window here a little bit. <laughs> Steve and I had this conversation because we were getting some TCI t-shirts made and he was giving me shit about the tagline. And I said, what, what did I say? If you ride bikes, Fuck off and leave me alone uh, yeah. is not an effective tagline. And no. you're like, that's been my business for, for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have to I have to qualify my perspective or like this isn't, you know, my opinion doesn't necessarily reflect that of of robots or Patrick's or <laughs> like I'm, mine is all my own. And that's this is this is my thing. And I understand it's not, you know, but like this. It's just, that's just who I am. Whatever. You asked me to do this job. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the inclusivity. Certainly. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. But I'm anti-social. Of course you do. You've got all the love in your heart. You're like, you're like the loving curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will absolutely support you not you specifically i mean i'd support you specifically but i will support anyone in in what they want to do and i will give the best of my to the best of my ability uh knowledge or uh direction but like at the end of the day like if we don't have a bunch of other stuff to talk about besides bikes i'm out yeah i don't think any i don't think anyone's coming to the cycling independent thinking I'm looking for my best buddies. I think they're just want to, they just want to feel like bike riders. Like what is this party that we're all at? And you what is it about? It's just about like, riding bikes, ride your bike. And you're, you're automatically you're in the party. You know, the best way to feel like a bike rider is ride to a ride a bike. Yeah. I well, mean, if it were only that simple, Steve, it's 2022. I think it is. Okay. Ride your bike. I'm. I'm. I was uh, accepted into this like home mechanics forum, um, which is the most insane thing I've ever been. A, I mean, besides like I've been employed as a mechanic at a shop, and so I see, I see all manner of insanity in these discussions and people saying like, "Oh, I hung a, a wet rag on my bike, and it should I should, is the frame destroyed?" Or whatever. And I like, I, you know, of course I'm not going to chime in. I don't have any, I don't have the energy to be like snarky to people who don't understand or don't know or who are finding their way. And I'm not going to, because no one asked me specifically, I'm not going to throw my two cents in. 
but I do appreciate that they they're fi- they're figuring it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. But we just want to uh, we just want to be just want to let everybody figure it out. But let's go back to shitting on cycling media. <laughs> <laughs> As we, I mean, t- technically we're a, we're a form of it. We are a form of it. And what I'm trying, what a big part of what we're trying to do with TCI is be a little bit funny and a little bit less serious, make room for people who aren't. And I had to write a thing it was sort of semi apologizing to Watts counters and whatever. Like, I don't hate them either. It's just not what I do. Right. It's just not me. Uh, and I really want to just take the air out of most, I mean, you've said to me before, not everything is jokes, John. And I said, isn't it though? (laughs) And because I think, I think, I think, uh, life is horrible. It's horrible. Uh, and it ends in a meaningless death. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you can despair about that. There's not much left to be said. Or you can despair about that, or you can have a good chuckle about it because it's fucking yeah. absurd. And that's I'm, what we, I'm that's what we think about cycling media. Yeah, life is meaningless. <laughs> life is meaningless <laughs> and absurd. And I don't know, like if you can't have a laugh about that, I just can't. I don't know. I I get so much joy from riding my bike that when it when it really when people want to like. When people want to make it very serious and and I mean, that's their jam, right? That's what is they need right then. I don't know, but I just am not there anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I left the the haunted house and I'm just in the fun house standing in front of the mirror, making the fun house mirror, making faces. And that's just where I'm going to be. Yeah, that's a more comfortable place. And, you know, uh, I've talked about um I've talked about Mark Dickerson and Dave Strunk before, but they were two people who Dave I've known for years and years and Mark I met through Dave and they both showed me this way of being a bike rider that was, uh, it was so appealing to me. It was so, it was the antithesis of what I had seen ever, uh, growing up because cycling is, uh, it's a, it's a beautifully graceful, thing the bikes the lines of the bikes are pretty and the the way that people were riding them was pretty but i didn't feel i didn't feel like i didn't it wasn't that i didn't have a place with them i just wasn't interested in having a place with them and then dave and mark came along and they were these two like rough and tumble knuckleheads that drank beer and smoked weed and had a weird dehydrated calf head on a baby doll body with a chicken claw on one hand and a dog paw on the other named scruffy that had its own colorado state issued id and (laughs) and they could ride the shit out of bikes and mark could talk about the history of shimano until you were bored to tears he could tell you everything about the brothers everything about a different generation of groups. He could tell you everything you wanted to know about the classics, about the tour, about the Peloton. And he was just an absolute derelict. And I was like, that's, that's what I want to be like. That makes sense to me. A derelict who's actually, it's not who he was. It's not, I mean like being a bike rider, air quote, cyclist, whatever. That's not who he was. That was just something he loved and he was he was so much more 
he had so many more dimensions to him than just this activity. I mean, I think what you just defined is, for me, the classic dirtbag. People think a dirtbag is like a person who lives in their van and just does their thing all the time. And maybe that's a thing that some dirtbags do. But to me, a dirtbag is a is a very smart person who could follow the well-beaten path and be successful. But they've chosen the path of chaos because it's more amusing. That, to me, is what a dirtbag is. Yeah, that that tracks. I mean, it's funny now because I and I brought this up previously. Um now he's an engineer at Lockheed Martin and he <laughs> designs rockets. Yeah. <laughs> so he's doing okay. <laughs> he's doing okay for himself. And Dave went on to, you know, he has a house and a family and he's doing real well. And then so I'm just kind of the one <laughs> still I'm still holding it down for yeah. those two. The path of chaos, you're still on it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so cycling media, what's what's wrong with it? It's bore. I think it's boring. <laughs> Dirt rag is gone. The bike magazine of old is gone. I think it's very linear and very square. Um, there's all the same styles of riding. I don't think slope style or whatever that is. I don't think that's terribly interesting because it's not terribly relatable. Like single track, and sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down, or empty roads, uh, or you know, riding bikes with one or two friends or having adventures, getting to an adventure on a bike and then having the adventure being totally unrelated to, to how you got there. It's like that stuff. That's what, that's what fills me up. Yeah. And I don't see yeah. much of that in, in media. It is interesting how big free ride or slope style or whatever you call it, how big an influence it has on a population that really can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, land access, you know, is such a big deal, too. There's uh, living in the East Bay, like it, the shops, I always thought the shops should be more responsible and the manu- manufacturers should be more responsible. There's videos playing in every bike shop of people just ripping the shit out of these trails and cam loops or the North Shore or whatever. And people see the videos and they're like, oh, uh, you know, there's a big open space up in the hills here. I, I can go do that up there. Not realizing that that those trails have been have been battled over for decades and trail access has been this ongoing war between uh land managers and equestrians and hikers and you know everybody's trying to carve out their little piece of the pie and somebody drops a few thousand dollars on a bike and they and then they're just like enemy number one or <laughs> stravaing illegal trails or you know it's just right. like fuck man we we are our own worst enemies in so many ways. Um, but that's something that has always kind of irked me. Like nobody's, nobody's responsible. What, you know, growing up, uh, always reading about sharing the trail and the Imba rules of the trail. And you always give people who are riding uphill the right of way and don't leave garbage. And, you know, it was like, there was something about the sanctity of being outside that was impressed upon me as a younger person reading magazines and I feel like none of that exists. It's all about driving your bike to the trail all four miles and then fucking ripping and, mm. you know, skid videos. That's huge. Like you got to skid through every corner. You're not doing it right. Mm. The fuck? What happened? What happened? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's I mean, media. it's all, 
It's a yeah. It's a question of having the having cycling, having some version of cycling sold to you, right? We're all chasing like whatever that is, that shiny thing that's in front of us. I'm not that different, and I'm definitely susceptible to it. But I hear what you're saying. It's it's not the it doesn't. There's not a lot of people writing about the rides that I do, Mm-mm. the type of rides I do, or spending time doing trail maintenance. If yeah. you ride however many hundreds of hours you ride in a year, how many hours do you spend a year doing trail work? Right. Like, why Why isn't that something that's encouraged? It's like, it's turned, mountain biking specifically, I'm talking about mountain biking specifically, because road cycling media is, is always just these beautiful pictures of, you know, endless roads and the mountains and stuff like that. But mountain biking, uh, it's... Oh shit. It's, it's basically, oh God, I was going to make such a good point there. It's, lot, it's gone. I felt like I saw it leave your left eyebrow. Like it mm. crawled up your face and then it God. jumped off your eyebrow. God damn it. Yeah. I was going to, I was, it's just sort of, I think I was, I was going to make a point, uh, specific to mountain biking, um, where I was going to describe, <laughs> <clears throat> how it is this this sort of form of it is has been developed and is being marketed and sold and and you have to do it in these parameters so you're not doing it right but i honestly i have no idea what i was going to say i mean the one issue and this is i don't know if this is media related or 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 rider ethics related, but you see, especially a lot of the, the people at the, the top of, uh, the sport, you know, riding downhill and free ride and other stuff where they're just mangling nature. They're just like bringing heavy equipment in all the fuck, all the plants. Um, you know, they make these beautiful trails that let them, huck and flip and spin and do all the stuff and i it is really nice the way they move through the air but then i think to myself did you just bush hog like 160 ferns to get that jump it's kind of the antithesis of what what brought took what attracted me to to riding a a bike in the woods to begin with Mm. it's like i wanted to go there and feel like i'm maybe the first person to ever ride this trail you know i don't need a freeway full of jumps and berms and shit like that right i watched that happen in santa cruz the trails there used to be just so sublime and then and then they got wider and wider and rootier and you know and that's fun to ride that stuff but like what happened to what happened to like taking care of the trail it's just these freeways just these muddy washes during the winter you know and that's not oh that's what i was gonna say (laughs) uh the amount of time people spend doing trail maintenance, I think, is far far out of balance of the amount of time that people spend on riding. And I think that if people did, and not trail building, but like working to make sure to to ensure the health of the trails that they ride, not making yeah. berms, not making jumps, not doing all that stuff, but just maintaining, not building, just maintaining. And I think that Even- that would change people's perspective on on how they ride maybe even just know. riding with a plastic bag that you could collect some garbage in sure yeah. always i mean i always i'll always 
come home with trash in my pocket. I have seen you pick up. I mean, in the one day that we spent together, I I witnessed you giving a hoot and not polluting or reverse polluting by picking up other people's garbage. I watched it. Yeah. Um. Getting back to the media thing, though, because we we're, we're I, I agree. I think there's not enough about trail etiquette and tr- and woods ethics and all of that stuff. Um, I also really abhor when a magazine or a website has adopted what. Uh, global media has decided is the right formula where they're like, oh, six steps to to a solid core for cyclists. Uh, um, yeah, that's just like Seventeen magazine or Cosmopolitan yeah. magazine type of format where it, it's the same thing. It's just written differently every you know eight or ten years. Exactly, eight fashion no nos for the mm. aspiring gravel cyclist. Mm. It makes me want to put a pistol in my mouth and I don't like guns, Um, (laughs) but I'm just like, is this where we are? Is this where we are? Or like, or they pitch a, um, a sale at one of their advertisers as an article. That's not an article. That's a fucking ad. Don't do that. So I I have to ask, like, are we, are we this fucking boring or, (laughs) or do they think that we're this fucking boring? (laughs) <laughs> like what which which can which comes first here yeah i mean i'm probably that boring i, I, I could know. guess i'm not no you're fascinating <laughs> uh so that's what okay that's kind of what grinds my gears about cycling media i don't know i think we maybe covered that totally didn't solve anything you know somebody would say like well then start your own magazine and i guess in a sense i kind of did i can't afford you know but like even making fanzines like periodically i'll make a fanzine and that's that's my that's my attempt it's you know a circulation of all of uh like 200 and uh and then it takes me another six months or a year to do another issue but you know, so fuck you. I did. I've done a magazine and I have a website. <laughs> fuck you, so I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. You know, I this love is... being angry at the criticism we haven't received yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a preemptive. Yeah, preemptive it, strike. Fuck you. Yeah. I did it. So um, I, I just figured so what, we we've got all of the you know like clearly we have all the answers, but what are we doing about it? I mean, I we I I spend most of my time on the cycling independent. It's not perfect. It's a long way from perfect, but I'm, I'm, we, we're trying to do our stuff. We are yeah. trying to do, I mean, it maybe we don't, and you know, I, I will say that I think a big part of the problem is how we fund ourselves. It's been a big struggle at TCI. Like we have some sponsors. That's super cool that people believe in us. We originally just wanted to be subscriber funded, but people don't like to pay for content. So there weren't enough of those dollars to pay everybody. So we made the compromises. You start to compromise yourself. You know, it's a slippery slope. And then you're it, it just it does weigh on your creativity. Are you doing art? No, we're not really doing art, but we're doing we're doing we're trying to do something different. Yeah. And I, you know, to a degree, not. Uh, I don't know if it's that people don't want to pay, but. There's or can't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, or can't. There's just something about like 
I just get to a point where I'm like, well, fuck it. This is something that I believe in, you know, whether I'm paid for it or not, if people believe in it and, and want to pay for it or advertisers believe in it and they want to pay for it, that's great. So then I just have to diversify and figure out other ways of funding it Yeah, because this is something, this is something that I believe in and this is something that I want to do. And until I can't make a living or it just isn't financially reasonable for me to keep pushing this boulder up the hill. I love the boulder. I love pushing it. But yeah. at some point you kind of run out of gas and you're like, well, I guess I got to, I got to figure something else out. Cause you know, bottom line, I got to pay rent. I got to buy groceries. Um, but until that day comes, whenever that is like, I'm going to keep doing it. Cause it's, you know, it's something that I appreciate. And I think that other people do as well. And so as long as that kind of promotes and continues to uh, expand or maybe not even expand the community, maybe it's just a big circle jerk and we're all just sitting around <laughs> staring each staring at each other, like enjoying the smell of each other's farts or whatever. But I think that it's, it's worthwhile. And until I'm I don't fun. feel that I only way, do it. I only I'm, do it because I think it's fun. Yeah. Well, I hate doing shit. That's not fun. Yeah. I hate it also. Uh, so, uh, question two, what media from skateboarding or music should cycling be looking at to sharpen up its game? So obviously the original cream magazine, um, cream and yeah, the national lampoon, maybe heavy metal magazine, even two heavy three. metal. Yeah. Uh, any punk rock fanzine in the eighties. Like I love the kind of rough and tumble look like flip side, you know, mm-hmm. like, Obviously, cycling has the cycling industry, the cycling media industry has much better photographers and much higher production. But why couldn't that aesthetic be applied? You know, like a few years ago, Cushenberry asked me if I would do like I was like the guest editor of an issue of Dirt Rag. And I, so I wanted to make it like a fanzine. I wanted to make it look like, you know, clip art and all like yeah. herky jerky and stuff crossed out and liquid paper and like I we kind of did it but it was I got to pick the people who wrote articles and it was all kind of DIY and frame builders and the history of independent fabrications bicycles as told by one of the founders um and you know like that was cool I don't think it took that much more energy than than any other issue it was just having the vision so why where's the vision in cycling we have all the tools there's the distribution is there no vision or interest do people just would you assume people wouldn't get it or you're trying to apply appeal to a broad audience of personalities and humanity so you gotta make something that falls within these parameters i don't know I mean, I think you you have said before about a million times to me and on this podcast that cycling is very linear. And I think people spend a lot of time trying to fit in. And I think the media does the cycling media does that, too. Trying to like, are we all echoing the same looks and feels and thoughts and whatever? Uh, People don't want to stick out. And it. It requires a little bit of courage to say fuck it i think this is going to be fun uh let's put this magazine in a cereal box i think well okay look at spencer cannon who founded rita van vlanderen and his all like his ads 
and the marketing that he did before I even knew Spencer, I knew it was something that was so good and so different. And I don't feel like I don't I don't feel like he got a fair shake. He worked so hard and and it just kind of fell on deaf ears. People didn't because I, you know, and I, the, before I even met him, I did an interview with him and, um, he was like, well, up until this point, like the most exciting thing that's happened in road cycling was, uh, Garmin had Argyle, uh, printed jerseys or sublimated <laughs> jerseys, like yeah. rock racing. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. That is the worst, but <laughs> something that came along, something came along and it was sincere and it was good and it was funny and it was creative and people didn't get it. Yeah. And now, you know, Ritter is like, he's parted ways with them and they're doing their own thing, but it's not, it's, it's not there. It's yeah. not what it was. It, it doesn't have that, that spark or that sense sensibility anymore. It's just not a bike company. I think more humor. We should, I mean, you mentioned Mike Cushenberry a second ago, Cush, uh, who was one of the founders of Cycling Independent, and he's the editor-in-chief at uh, Mountain Flyer now. Mount, we like Mountain Flyer. Do we? Yeah. Yeah, of course we yeah, do. Yeah, but they also, I mean, they have to, they have to, they have parameters that they have to fit into. They do you know? have parameters. It's the, it's the, it's the same thing. I, I mean, what, like looking, looking in skate, in skateboard media, uh, they they have to do the same stuff. It's just that I guess the whole the foundation of like skateboard media is like snot, you know, snotty, do whatever the fuck we want to do. So that's what's expected. But cycling media can't really afford to be snotty, do whatever the fuck we want to do. And and Mountain Flyer is I think it's a beautifully uh, produced magazine. I think it's gorgeous. I think the writing is top notch. I think the photos are top notch, except for the photos that I've taken. Those are mediocre. Uh, but I, they, I think they they still have to kind of like march in lockstep with this this definition of cycling media. I don't know. Maybe I have a, I have a feature coming up in an <laughs> upcoming issue. He said self servingly. I believe you're also in that uh, issue. Uh, so I think Mike is at least taking a shot at people who are you know maybe willing to break things or yeah 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 i think he i think he is uh i you know i've never really i've never really talked to him about that and that's why i'm hesitating is i'm not i'm not disagreeing or like trying to find the right way of saying you know to like candy coat an insult or anything but i'm i'm just like I've never, I'm just sort of reflecting on the fact that Mike and I've never talked about it. Like really what his, his ultimately what his vision is, you know, he's got a lot of years under his belt working in cycling media and has a boundless perspective on all of this stuff. And it's just, I was weird that I, he and I've never talked about it before. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he wants to do cereal boxes and calendar bound shit and, Danzig trading cards. I'm all for it. If that's let's, the case, let's you and me try to ruin his magazine. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Fish is listening to this. He actually texted me the other night. He's, he said, you should have me on your podcast, which I think me being a part of this podcast at all was his idea. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, and he, yeah. said, he said, you should have me on my podcast so, and I can talk about why metal matters. And I was like, fuck dude for all of the reasons what are you talking about 
<laughs> that's, Why that's, does metal matter? That's, that's not a that's not a topic. Metal. Everybody knows metal matters. Everybody knows that, Mike. <laughs> uh, cats are soft. Metal matters. We know. Yeah, it's cow. They sure are. He he has two cats, I think. Dogs have bad breath. Dogs have bad breath. We're animal lovers here at the Cycling Independent. All right, let's get to the would you rather before we offend more people than did we, we than is in our self interest to do. Did we offend anybody today? I don't know. You, you think we did? Uh, uh, nobody who listens to this is going to be offended. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, question three: The would you rather? And I read this last night, and it just about sent me into a tizzy. This is rough. Uh, would you rather be responsible accidentally for the death of one person you love, or ten people you don't know? Did I come up with this? Ah, uh, we well, we brainstormed would you rather's last week. This was one of the ones that fell out. I don't a hundred percent know where it came from in that process. I do have an alternate one in case this one is too much. No, it's it's this is just right because it's this there's is the no one. yeah there's no there's no there's no bright side to this. <laughs> no, that I think that's the problem with it is that there's no this isn't funny. There's nothing funny about being accidentally responsible for the death of a loved one or or 10 strangers. Ha. Oh, the hilarious option is it's a bus full of strangers. (laughs) So let's just say, for example, it's not even you're you're driving, you're driving a car. uh, Yeah. And uh, whatever tie rod breaks, you lose your power steering goes out, whatever. uh, And you crash. Yeah. And you crash into a bus stop and kill 10 people or you crash into a tree and kill your friend. So that's right. You're not directly responsible, right? Oh, that's right. It's an accident. It's a legitimate accident. Yeah. Or you could be doing horseplay and you like are playing with a a hand grenade and (laughs) which sometimes happens. I don't know. (laughs) That one. (laughs) Just play. You know how you sometimes horseplay with a hand grenade? (laughs) (laughs) That's a bad example. But you're goofing around. You're doing something silly, you know, whatever, playing with a fire and hairspray or something. Thing blows up. (laughs) Yeah. Friend dies. Yeah. So it could be like you're you're being irresponsible, but you're just goofing around. You don't think that it's going to turn into a, a life or death situation or in this case, a death situation. A death situation. That's correct. So the question really is, which one do you which which of those do you think you could live with more better? I think it depends on personally, I think it depends on the day. Like today, okay, Thursday, yesterday, when I read it, I would pick the third option is that I would die. Yeah, you don't get that. That's not part that. of the would you rather. I feel like we should go to the alternate because the this one is no good. This one is just bad. I mean, the answer is I'd rather be responsible for the death of one person that I love than 10 people I didn't. Same. Be- because I don't think I could live with 10. I don't think I could live with one. No, me neither. See, but this this goes back to life is meaningless. And this, this one sucks. <laughs> it's a rough episode. Yeah. So <laughs> any, anybody who's listening who I'm friends with uh, know that I would pick your life over the lives of 10 strangers. <laughs> That's the upshot here. 
<laughs> you're worth a lot, but you're n- not that much. <laughs> okay. Oof. What's the I'm sweating over here? What's the alternate? Oh, the alternate one is uh, would you rather? So both of these people are no longer with us. So this is a question. Would you rather have been Herman Melville or Herman Munster? Who's Herman Melville? Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick. Oh, um, Herman Melville. I mean, he without Herman Melville, there would be no Mastodon. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) How? What? How did you get from point A to point B there? And how did you? Leviathan was a concept album that was wholly inspired and written about Moby Dick. But Herman Munster, dude. He he wrote children's books. Herman Munster? Oh no, that Yes. Her, yes, Herman he wrote Munster the, was the father Yeah, he wrote the Munsters. He, he wrote the he wrote the book about um uh, a choc- chocolate mousse. Like it's like a kid saying like my mom said that there were there were rowing shells and skulls in the river and it's a drawing of somebody rowing a shell like an actual seashell and a, and then a human skull and then we're having chocolate mousse for dinner and there's I think maybe that's the name of the book and there's a giant actual mousse made of chocolate in this yeah he, he did uh, he did uh, he wrote children's books so listeners won't know this because you didn't hear the edit point but Steve and I or at least Steve have dropped acid in the last <laughs> few minutes. Uh, yeah, nope. It was Herman Munster, whatever his actual name was. Herman Munster wrote children's books, and Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick. And without Moby Dick, there would be no Leviathan by Mastodon. So I'm picking Herman Melville. He's well, the most I'm, metal motherfucker because I'm of that. I'm going to pick Herman Munster. Okay. And I love Moby Dick. It's a great book. And I'm grateful that that dude did that and existed. But when I think of my legacy, I would rather my legacy was a bumbling Frankenstein character on television. Yeah, look that shit up. Both of those books were mainstays uh, when I was a kid. Moby Dick and no. we're having chocolate mousse for dinner. <laughs> yeah, Moby Dick. You just Dick bounce and we're back having... and forth between the two at bedtime. <laughs> Moby Dick and we're having chocolate mousse for dinner. My mom said we're having chocolate mousse for dinner. Both made me who I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. I, Everyone I we, we love it. is dead, and Steve. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. I'm sorry uh, to anybody that we offended, but the bike world is fucking boring and it needs to be shaken up. It's just ah. too square. Too square. A couple of 50 year old white guys are going to come s- <laughs> fix everything. <laughs> Don't no. worry. It's really easy to sit on the wings and complain, though. I mean, we're not yeah. totally in the wings. It's not like we, you know, like. Oh, we're doing, in the game. Oh, we've been doing this shit for a long time. Got we're in some the game. The industry has just kept us way on the end of the bench. Yeah. Yeah. We're the junior, junior, junior varsity. Yeah, that's us. Uh, thanks for listening to Revolting. If you have questions for us or topics you want us to pontificate on, email me, uh, Stevel at cyclingindependent.com. Uh, if you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent, please share it with a friend. Uh, it's the only way we have to keep this party going. So on behalf of Revolting and the Cycling Independent, I'm Steve. 
And I'm Robot. Don't forget to media. And that's about it.